0: Congratulations. You made it to the worst Sunday of the year at church. You lost hours of sleep. We were in uh, not even Coleman, like the outskirts of Coleman, on the other side of Coleman for a basketball tournament yesterday. And uh, RJ and his team actually won. So the last game was at like 830 at night. So we got home about 11, a little bit after 11 last night. The time moved ahead. All my kids are still awake. I just want to go to sleep. So I lay down. RJ was still excited from winning. They won these like big brass with all these fake diamonds in it. So all these 14, 15-year-old boys just were like walking around like a, a newly engaged little girl, walking around, taking pictures. So R.J. didn't have his, his phone with him, so Toy took pictures. Right, so we get home. I'm finally sitting on the bed. It's 1.15 in the morning, and all of a sudden R.J. like bust open the door. He's like, Mom, you didn't see me in my pictures. I need to post it on Instagram. I was like, dude, it is 1.15 in the morning. I will kill you and then post it on Instagram. So you made it. So it's a a good thing. And we have a lot of good stuff going on. Starting Easter Sunday, Pastor Anthony talked about it. Good Friday is going to be a powerful night for us just to reflect on the price that Jesus paid for us. We're going to celebrate that through worship, through prayer, through communion uh, as well. But then that Sunday, we start two services again at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. for multiple reasons. One, to create more space in this room, but two, more importantly, to create more space for our kids' ministry. Our kids have kids all over the place, and we need help. And so the best way to do that here is to do two services. So we're doing that uh, uh, August, April 4th, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. So we need your help, though. So we're doing this to create more opportunities to reach more people, but also to serve our families and serve our people better. And so this is a great opportunity for you to step up. If you're not serving currently as a champion, this is a great chance for you to say, you know what, this is my house, this is my family, I wanna serve, and I wanna step up and serve. So you should've got a card when you walked in. If not, you can get one on the way out, but there's a QR code on the front if you wanna do a digital form. If we could have everybody, this can going do a couple of things to help us out. If we can have everybody fill out this court either on paper or that QR code, it'll help us do a couple things. One, helps us know what service is going to be the heavier service so we can staff correctly. So just let us know, I'm I'm planning on doing the 9 a.m. or I'm planning on doing the 11 a.m. And then also circle, I'm already a champion or I would like or I'm interested in serving as a champion, especially in kids' ministry where we need help or in first impressions type scenarios, ushers, greeters, parking lot, that kind of thing. So if you can do that before you leave and as you leave, just drop them off with an usher at the back doors as you leave. And so we have the 10 quality series going on. If you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, you can do so. So in walking through these 10 qualities, which for us are qualities of discipleship, we believe that this moves you from a believer, somebody just says, I believe in Jesus, to somebody who's actually following Jesus. So the first week, Pastor Dylan preached on being passionately committed to following Jesus. Not just a church attender, but passionately committed to following Jesus. The second week, Dr. Saints talked about an extraordinary love for people, meaning disciples have a deep love for other people, enemies, friends, strangers, everybody. Believers just tend to kind of love their friends and the people they care about. Then the next week, Anthony talked about a heart of a servant, what it truly means to serve other people. And we talked about being sensitive and submitted to the Holy Spirit, and then governed by the authority of God's Word. Last week, we talked about being living morally pure, and today we're going to talk about disciples live life on purpose. They live their life on purpose, meaning You don't just live your life by accident. You're following Jesus. and If Jesus has a purpose and you're following Jesus, then your life should have a purpose and you should be following in the direction of purpose. The great prophet Ferris Bueller said this, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. If you don't know who Ferris Bueller is, that means you're under the age of 30. So you need to ask your midlife crisis parents, who is Ferris Bueller? He said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't Stop every once in a while to look, you'll miss it. And so, what Ferris Bueller is trying to say in James 4, James is talking about hey, don't boast about tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, you don't know what's going to happen, for your life is like a mist. So, really, you know, James is really saying your life is like this it starts and it's over. Like, literally, once you have kids, you realize this. You have kids that are in diapers, and then all of a sudden, they're teenagers. And they're waking you up at 1.15 a.m. in the morning to post on Instagram. Then they graduate. Next thing you know, they're having, and life just happens fast. You're born, you're playing, you're in elementary school. Next thing you know, you're 40 years old. You're balding, you're going fat, and you're just looking for a little nap to take. That's life. Like, life just happens so quickly, and we get so caught up in the rat race, we don't realize how precious that is. We get so caught up in just getting through the routine and going through the day-to-day that we lose sight that one day you're here and the next day you're gone. In reality, the whole scheme of eternity, it's even less than that. So the question would be, what are you doing with your mist? Like Jesus only lived 33 and a half years. It was a little mist. But what he did with that mist We're still living in the wake of the significance and impact today. And so for you, you have a life that God has given you. You have a mist that God wants you to use to water the soil, to water the people around you, to water your kids, to water your marriage, to water the people sitting next to you in the pew, to water your neighbors. He's given you this mist to water other people so they can be fruitful for the kingdom of heaven. He's given you a life. And there's usually three levels of living that we fall into. One will be survival. You're just living, you're just paycheck to paycheck, you're just hoping to make it, you're just hoping to retire when you, you know nowadays when you're 85 to retire and maybe then you'll live life. Maybe you get past the survival stage, maybe you've made it through some things and some difficult seasons and scenarios and Maybe you're living for success. You're trying to pay off some debt. You're trying to start a business. You're trying to be successful in the eyes of people around you. Maybe you're living for the weekend. You have enough money. You can go get a boat and live on the lake or go wakeboard on Saturdays or go hang out on Saturdays or go on vacations. And you're living what you say would be for success, but still needing to feel significant. See, the highest level of living is not survival. It's not success. It's significance. I Meaning, you discover the why God created you. You discover the why He sent Jesus to die for you to redeem you for a purpose. It's about how you can make a difference and an impact in other people's lives. It's how you can live your life and steward it in a way where God receives the glory for how you live. That is significance, and that's the highest form of living you can have. Winston Churchill said it this this way: He said, "It's not enough to have lived; we should be determined to live." For something, It's not enough just to live. We should be determined, especially as followers of Jesus, to live for something. Not just a weekend, not just retirement, not just for vacations, not just for your hobbies, not just for your interest, but for something that has eternal value. To live your life on purpose. You would stand to your feet as we read Ephesians 5. Verse 15 together. I know we we hit Ephesians a couple weeks ago, but Ephesians is a very pivotal book because the church at Ephesus was a pivotal church for the mission of God through all out Europe and Asia. There's a church attacked with spiritual warfare. This chapter, Ephesians 5, is kind of a transition chapter. He goes from talking about walking in love to then hear how to live your life, how to be spirit-filled, and then he gets into the armor of God and spiritual warfare. So what I would take from that is before you can really walk in spiritual warfare, before you can put on the armor of God, you have to know why you're living. Because if you don't know why you're living and why you're fighting, it doesn't matter how much armor you have, doesn't matter which weapons you have, you'll quit before you're ever successful because you don't know the why behind your fighting. So the why is vitally important. He says this in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. You can say it again like making the best use of your life, making the best use of your mist. Why? Because the days are evil. They will rob you of purpose. They will rob you of life. They'll rob you of joy. The days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The the New Living Translation says it this way. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this life you've given us. Father, so many of us in this room have stories of brokenness and stories of past that are just corrupted with sin and with evil and with pain and with suffering. But Father, yet you chose to pour the blood of Jesus out to redeem us from our old ways of living to a new life full of purpose, hope, faith, and joy. And Father, in this moment, I just pray that you compel us to live our lives on purpose with the destiny, with the joy, with the vision with the conviction, with the values, with the why that you've planted inside of us. as so why we bless you in this place, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So, so Paul is literally just saying, listen, the days are evil. If you get caught up in the days, in the calendar, in the schedule, in the routine, it will rob you of why I saved you. Because once you got saved, that's not the end of the journey. That's the beginning of the journey of learning to walk with Jesus, but also to fulfill his purpose that he gave you. In Proverbs 20, verse 5, it says this, the purpose in a man's heart is like a deep water. I mean, there's purpose in you, but it's like a deep well or deep water that's way down in you, but a man of understanding will draw it out. What that means is when you get saved— you don't just get saved from hell. God literally sends Jesus to replace you and everything that Jesus is, is now inside of you. And Jesus has purpose. Jesus has hope. Jesus has a destiny. Jesus has leadership. Jesus has significance. Jesus has value. And all those things are deep within you now. There is purpose inside of you. It doesn't matter how far you've been away from God, your purpose in God has not changed. Your value has not changed because your value is found in Jesus who is in you, Christ in you and you in the spirit. So what happens is most believers never take time, as this scripture says, to be wise enough to actually start to dig deep and discover, Jesus, why did you save me? Why did you save me? I know you love me, but why did you save me? Because if we were all honest, it'd be much easier for Jesus to save us one day, we die the next. That'd be the perfect scenario for me. You, You get saved, the next day you die in your sleep, you wake up in heaven. But he leaves us here with this margin between being born again and going into heaven. He expects that margin to be full of significance, impact, his glory, his pleasure, and his purpose in you. That's what he desires, and we need to take time to really understand, Jesus, what is my purpose? How can I live my life intentionally? Because if we only get one life to live, we should probably live it on purpose. If we only have one life to live, we're not cats, thank God, because the only thing closer to a demon, other than a serpent, is a cat. We only have one life. We don't have nine lives to live. We have one life. And James already said it is a mist. So if we only have one life to live, why would we just by default live it on accident when God is literally laying out a plan for us to live it on purpose? And so if you're gonna live your life on purpose, Paul unpacks some things. And and the first thing is this, find your why and then you'll discover your what. If you discover your why, you find your why, you'll figure out the way. Like, God didn't leave us with a plan of saying, this is your life, here's your plan. He didn't give us a plan to follow or structure to follow. He literally gave us a person. Instead of giving us a blueprint for our life, He says, just follow Jesus. And as you follow Jesus, you'll discover the way. You'll discover your purpose. You'll discover everything you need to know. Because your why is what unpacks everything else. And Daniel, I think, 10.32, says, those who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. We try to skip all the being, knowing, and being and just go to the do. We just want, we just want to know what should I do? What am I called to do? What am I supposed to do? What job? What career? What am I supposed to do with my life? And God says, no, you're skipping two steps. Those who know their God, who know the why behind why I made them, They shall be strong because they know their why. Then they shall do great exploits. See, you have two main purposes in your life. The first purpose is your general. Every single believer has this purpose. It is literally to live for God's glory and God's pleasure. That's it. It's that simple. Your life exists to honor the God who saved you and to take pleasure in the relationship that you share with him to sit and worship at your father's feet, to commune with him heart to heart, to enjoy this relationship that Jesus died for you to have, to honor him for a sacrifice, to glorify him and to rest. Everybody has that same purpose, everybody. But as you begin to pursue him in that purpose, he'll begin to reveal a second purpose, which is your specific, unique purpose purpose, that when God created you before the foundations of the world, way back before Genesis even happened, when he was thinking of you, he created you with a purpose. Every creator, no matter what they make or what they create, they have an end result in mind. I was watching a stupid YouTube video of all these people who were creating airplanes back in the 1800s, and it was all their failures. There was planes that had like 25 different wings on it, and they would fall apart wherever it took off. But as they were designing these airplanes, they had an end result in mind. They, the result was, I want to fly like the eagles. I want to take off for the skies. I want to soar over the earth. And so they created things to help them get to that end result. In the same way, when God was creating you, he had an end result in mind. Whether that was to be a teacher who inspired children to be more than they ever thought they could be. To be a missionary who would take the gospel into places that the gospel would never go before. Or to be a medical professional who would touch people and heal them in the confines of a hospital when they're all by themselves. To be a a pastor to teach and preach people how to seek after God's kingdom. God created all of us with a purpose. And when you discover that why, it transforms the way of your life. If you're under 25 years old, you need to get this. I'm going to set you free. When you're under 25 years old, you spend most of your time trying to figure out the what. What is God's plan for my life? What am I supposed to do? What job am I supposed to What career path? What college am I supposed to go to? What am I supposed to do? What, what am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? What, it's all what field. And you spend all this energy, all this anxiety figuring out the what. Stop trying to figure out the what and spend time with Jesus and figure out the why. When you discover the why, everything else will begin to unfold. And see, your purpose is not your purpose. It's God's purpose in you and through you. And so he's not trying to hide it. So many times we think God's will or God's purpose is something God hides from us. Who wants you to be in God's will more than anybody else? God. And all he's asking for, he will use it as a strategy to draw you closer to him. To discover the why of your life so then you can take off and journey wherever God wants you to go. Simon Sinek, who's a great, great author, leadership guru, coach, he calls it the why statement. You need to figure out your why statement. And the why statement, he uses this little formula to blank is to blank. It's that simple. To blank is to blank. So that first blank is to your contribution. To teach children is my contribution but the other blank to blank is the impact i want my contribution to make so to teach children is to open up their eyes to the possibilities of a hope in the future or like the dream center like what toys doing to mentor and tutor children who come from broken homes so they can be awakened that there's more to life than what they see in front of them so what would be your contribution and what would be your impact Maybe it's to serve other people in such a way that they realize God is paying attention to their lives. Maybe it's to to lead worship so that other people can experience the presence of God. Or maybe mine is like to lead, I'm working on mine, to lead, to teach, and to empower others to seek God's kingdom, pursue God's kingdom, to advance God's kingdom, and experience God's kingdom here on earth. Whatever your contribution is, you have to discover what contribution can I make to see God's kingdom advance on earth. Because my significance will come out of the couple that He gave was Simon Cynics's to inspire people to do the things that inspire them, so that together we can change our world. Another person said to empower and educate people everywhere so that they can improve their lives and achieve their goals. One person had to leave the world a better place than I found it and be remembered by the people whose lives are touched as a force for good in their lives. And so trying to figure out what contribution, why did God create me and make me? Because he created you. He created you with life experiences that you were going to go through. He created you with a personality type, with spiritual gifts, with passions, with gifts, with talents, and all those are packaged in that deep well within you that is your purpose. In Ephesians 2, he calls it a masterpiece. Jesus literally calls you a masterpiece that he created to walk out works he planned beforehand. And that masterpiece, here's how you can discover it real quick. One, determine what your core values are. Determine what values, what guiding principles are in your life. Like some of ours are, we're going to be people of honor that guides my life or our family. We're going to be rooted in the house of God. That's a value of ours. We're going to be financial stewards and stewards of everything God gives us. That's a value of ours. We're going to be word people. Whatever the word says, we're going to do. We're going to be spirit people. Wherever the spirit blows, we're going to go that direction. We have values that guide our lives. The question would be, what values Are guiding your life. Because until you determine those values, you won't know the why because those values were were placed in you from God. And you'll spend literally the first 40 years of your life discovering your values and the last 40 years of your your life living them out. It's taken me 40 years to really nail down what my values are. And the only way you can really discover your values is one by God telling you what they should be through the word, But two, you'll realize your values when somebody starts to step on them or cross them. Like we have a high value for people that may be overlooked by other people. And the reason we could determine or discover that value is because we had experiences where people would literally walk over people that God loved. And it made me so angry I wanted to fight. And when it took me a while to mature to realize I wasn't angry, there was a value there that was being squashed by people. It was like God was poking me and saying, That's your value. Or the word of God became a value to us and we saw people really just throwing the word of God away just to do their own thing. And so for us it made me so angry. And I realized it wasn't anger, that's a value. Or people who manipulate the Holy Spirit for their personal gain made me so angry, but I realized it wasn't anger. That was a value that I cherish the person of the Holy Spirit. So you have values. You have to take time to discover them. Then you have to discover your passions. What motivates you? What moves you? What, What challenges you? What drives you? What makes you mad? What makes you sad? Some other questions would be, if money were not an issue, what would you do with your time? What do you love to do? What do you hate to do? And you can't say dishes. What gives you energy? What drains the life out of you? What do you want to change, shape, and leave better than you found it? What segment of the population do you feel drawn to to help? See, the Angela's question will start showing you what your passion is. Your passion will begin to move you and compel you in the direction God wants you to go. Then you can identify the life experiences God wants to use from your life. The life experience that could be good, could be bad, that he wants to use to help other people. Meaning maybe you've gone through abuse, addiction, a broken family, broken home. Maybe you've gone through church hurt. Maybe you've gone through situations that were not optimal situations. God does not allow any pain without there being a purpose attached to the other side. That's good. The enemy will convince you that God will let you go through suffering because he's angry at you. God will allow you to go through suffering because he knows there's a benefit on the other side, not just for you, but to multiply the benefit that you came through with. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Davis did this amazing kind of exercise one day where he said, draw a timeline of your life. So you draw a timeline of your life. and I was born in 1981, and now it's 2021. And so I'm just thinking through the 80s hip-hop, 90s hip-hop, 2000 really junkie Justin Bieber. And who's the guy you listen to? Shawn Mendez. My wife turned into a teen bopper listening to Shawn Mendez the past year. So I'm trying to get her saved by listening to some good old R&B. <laughs> so you look at your timeline, and he said, start marking moments in your life. There were pivotal moments or mile markers in your life. They could be good moments or bad moments. So I started looking at mine and my home was full of addiction. My home was full of brokenness. My home was full of infidelity and dishonesty and all this brokenness. And so that was on there. Then my parents got divorced, that was on there. My dad got remarried, that was on there. Had some situations in high school, that was on there. Then went to the Air Force, that was on there. Met Toya, that was on there. Got saved, that was on there. And then had moments in while I was saved where there was a, a church moral failure that we got to witness up front, that was on there. A church split we got to see on and we had all these little lines and pastor said draw a line between all those moments and if you see a theme that could be the life experience God wants you to use to help other people see that life experience is pivotal because other people need to know somebody else made it through because we like to say they'll overcome by the Word and the blood, of the, the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. But it's not just you overcoming. Other people will overcome by your testimony. And so the life experiences you have will help other people. It's part of your purpose. And last one, identify your spiritual gifts, strengths, and talents. Like God created you with talents. Like my best talent is not teaching. My best talent and gift is singing. <laughs> and I keep begging for let me lead worship. They just... See, they're so embarrassed that I'll just overshadow all the, these mediocre talents up here. No, like, see, most of us, we think we have a talent. So identify what your talent or gift is, but then ask somebody else what they think your talent or gift is. Because you all seen American Idol where these families hate their kids and let them go sing. See, so many times we think, well, I'm really good at teaching or preaching. Nah, bruh. Well, you're, I'm a really good singer. No, no. Well, I'm really good with kids. No, kids hate you, and you're creepy. No. See, you have gifts, but we're all blind to what's really deep inside of us. So ask God, what is my gifts? What is my talents? What is my spiritual gifts you've imparted to me? But the two aspects, that's why community, which you're talking about next week, is so important. The community helps you identify what your strengths actually are. Because the question would be, what contribution are you going to make what the life gave you? The new life you have through the blood of Jesus is God's gift to you. But what you do with that new life is your gift back to God. Does that make sense? Like he gave you the best gift he could give you in Jesus. He gave you a new life in Jesus. But what you do with that life, how you live it, how you use it, how you steward it is the greatest form of worship you'll ever have. And that's what God has asked. What significance are you going to make? Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Ralph Waldo Emerson, which this dude has more quotes than anybody in the world, said, The purpose of life is not to be happy. It is to be useful, to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it make some difference that you have lived and lived well. Another person said, we rise by lifting others. I Means, I lift others, I rise in my purpose. And so find your why and you'll find the way. But two would be, live life for the moment, for every single day is uncertain. Live your life for the moment. You don't know what tomorrow's going to be. James said that, that's why he said, this is a myth. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Matthew 6, he says, seek the kingdom of God. But the whole thing is about don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Just focus on today. Live for the moment. You can plan for tomorrow. You can plan financially. You can plan for your education. You can plan for your career. But live in the moment. There's two things that rob us of living intentionally. One is worrying about tomorrow. And two is lack of purpose. And I would say the two are combined. When you, don't have a, when you have a lack of purpose, you live life on accident. When you have a lack of purpose, you live life by default. When you don't have a purpose, you just go with your, whatever's going on around you. But if you're worrying about tomorrow, you miss out on what God is doing today. And anxiety stems from trying to live in tomorrow, but plan every moment of today. When Jesus tells us, live in the moment, enjoy the moment that I've given you, this is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it, and tomorrow's problems will come tomorrow. You can plan for them, just don't live in them. And what's happening is we have so many people who are missing the moment. You miss the moment when the Spirit is moving because you're on your phone, on Instagram trying to post a picture of your fake championship ring. You're missing the moment with your kids because you're so busy trying to capture it on your phone so you can post it on Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok to get your likes up that you actually miss the moment with your kids. Some of you, every moment you're going to have is going to be on the other side of a screen. You may capture the moment, but you're going to miss the moment. It's crazy when you look at the amount of hours have them written down. There's about 3,900 weeks or 27,000 days or 648,000 hours of life in a 75-year lifespan. When you get to that, there's about 160 hours in a week. 56 hours go to sleeping, which leaves 112 hours for everything else. You have 112 hours a week to invest in your job, your family, and your walk with Jesus into life. 112 a hundred years ago, people worked on average 70 hours a week, on average. Through technology and through the laziness of millennials, we now work 30 to 40 hours a week. So we've been given a 30 plus extra hours from two generations before us. But the generation before us, we're living life in fulfillment, passion, passion. Purpose, some of the greatest things we've ever seen came out of the two generations before us. We've been given 30 extra hours a week, and what are we doing with it? Just chilling. Scrolling through news feeds, scrolling through fake news, scrolling through conspiracy theories, scrolling through pictures, scrolling through stupid TikTok videos, scrolling through, or just spending them looking through our phones all the time. And so it's not a matter of time. It's a matter of purpose. That my purpose is to be in the moment to enjoy my kids while I have them, to enjoy my wife while I have her because life is like a mist. But you're gonna miss it when you're on your phone. There's an old story. This guy had a radio show and he starts telling this story and he's, he's telling it, it's old school golden voice radio. He says, I, I realized a couple years ago I was just working too much. He said, I realized you're probably working too much. The the guy had kids, wife, job, career, the whole nine yards. He said, now I started doing a little arithmetic. As I did arithmetic, I realized the average person lives 75 years. He said, I multiplied 75 times 52 and came up with 3,900, which is the number of Saturdays the average person has in their lifetime. He said, now stick with me. He said, I'm trying to get to a point. He said, I didn't really do this math until I was 55. So only figured I had 20 years left. He said, well, equaled out about a 1,000 Saturdays left to live my life. He says, I went to a couple toy stores and found 1,000 marbles. He said, I put those marbles in a big jar on my desk, and every Saturday morning, I'd wake up, I'd get my coffee, get my newspaper, and I'd grab one marble out and take it out and throw it away. He said, it made me think of how I was investing the one real day off a week I had. Before, I'd live it going golfing with buddies, or I'd just spend it laying around the house. I'd just do it doing X, Y, Z. And realize I only have a thousand Saturdays left with my wife, with my kids, with my grandkids. Only a thousand. He said, there's something about watching your life being physically depleted that did something to me. And so this guy was amazed by this conversation with this old guy. And he says, what are you gonna do today? He said, well, today I'm gonna get up. I'm gonna take my wife to breakfast. We're gonna swing by my kids' house, see my grandkids. Because today was actually... My last marble. He says, I realize that now I'm going to borrow time. See, something happens when you realize that life is more valuable than you're giving it credit for. And when you actually see it visibly, something changes your perspective. And so learning how to manage your time is vital to living your life on purpose. The the scripture here, which says redeem the time, actually means to buy time back. So Paul is saying if you live your life on purpose, you actually buy time back from the enemy. You're buying time back. Why? Because your time becomes more useful, more valuable, and more impactful. Not just for your purpose, but for your family. For your joy, for your hope. Jesus even gave us, God gave us a day of Sabbath. Why? To help us number our days and redeem the time for his pleasure. So one of my good friends Back at our home church, Chris Kelso wrote a book just recently called Overcoming the Imposter." But years ago, he taught me this time management principle I I think you need to get. We look at time completely wrong. We look at time as I need to manage my time, manage my calendar, manage this. And Chris has this great YouTube video where he just throws all that out the window. He said, time is not to be managed. Time is a thermometer. Time is not the resource. Time is the thermometer. It's how you measure your values and what's important. He said, so instead of managing your time, you need to figure out how to manage your values and what's important. For if you learn those, your time will take care of itself. So if you throw that, that pyramid up there real quick. So he says this. He said, time and money are the thermometer. They're the measure of everything else. But if you get underneath that, you can manage your time by managing your decisions and your commitments. Meaning everything you say yes to may not be God's yes. You may be saying yes to things the enemy is using to suck life out of you. But then to get there, your priorities and your relationships. What are my priorities in life? What relationships are my priority? Mine are my wife, my kids my friends, our staff, my elders, those are the priority of relationships in my life. But to understand where my relationships are coming from, I have to know what my values and my beliefs are. Also known as my why. When I know my why, it will change my priorities. When I know my why, it will change my relationships. When I know my why, it will determine the decisions I make. When I know my why, it will determine the commitments I make. When I know my why, it will determine how I use my time. Quit trying to manage your time and manage your values. Manage what's important. You only have a mist. Quit trying to manage the mist and start managing your purpose. That's how you live intentionally. But the third thing would be, if you're going to live intentionally, this is, this is key, ties it all together. If you're going to live intentionally, you have to embrace the season you are in. you're going to live intentionally, you have to embrace the season you are in. And everyone in this room is in a season, maybe different seasons, but everybody is in a different season. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Everybody's in a season and every season has a purpose. Every season has something God is doing it because God is a God of seasons. I learned this from this old pastor one day. He said, so many times we're trying to to create our own seasons, but God is the God of seasons. And until you realize that God is the God of seasons and you realize God is working through a seasonal cycle, you'll stay frustrated at God when it's not God's fault. And so many people that I interact with, they're so frustrated with God because they want God to change the season and God is trying to get the season to change them. Case in point. about to get spring about to get summer we're in alabama so they all go in one week we had blizzard we had floods we had spring we have summer we have fall it's chaos but at some point it's going to get 85 90 95 100 degrees with 88 percent humidity if you're still wearing your clothes from Christmas winter coat scarf hat and you're sweating that and you're hot you can't get mad at the weather You just refuse to change with the season. So many people we talk to, we're trying to figure out they're in church transition or whatever, and they're frustrated. I said, no, 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 it's not the church's fault. Your season changed, and you're just wearing the clothes of an old season. And so many times we stay frustrated because, God, why is it so hot out here? Well, it's hot because you're wearing a burqa. Or God, why is it so cold? It's cold because you're still wearing flip-flops and swim trunks from two seasons before in the summertime. See, the seasons are important. You don't change the seasons. You let God change you through the season you're going through. See, as believers, we just try to do whatever the season's doing. As disciples, we embrace the season and embrace what God wants to do in us through the season. We embrace it. Because each season has a purpose. Each season has something God is trying to accomplish. There's no season in our universe that's in vain. And there's no season for a disciple that's in vain. There's four seasons. There's spring, there's summer, there's fall, there's winter. Spring is a season of preparation, spiritually, spiritually. Just like in, in real life, spring is a season where you're preparing the ground, you're sowing seed, you're watering plants. It's a season of preparation. It's a season of new opportunities. And in seasons of preparation, you'll grow frustrated if you think it's a season of growth. If you think you're supposed to reap your harvest in this season, one, you probably won't be doing what you're supposed to be doing. But two, you'll grow frustrated because you'll realize God is trying to prepare you for something new. Maybe he's breaking up the rough, dry soil of your heart and you think it's God being angry When really God is trying to stir your soul so he can plant new seed. Maybe it's stuff pushing through the surface of your life. Just like right now, you see tulips begin to push through the dirt. Maybe it hurts you. Things are trying to push to the surface of your heart that you don't want to deal with. But God is saying, no, no, this is a season of preparation for you. See, if you handle the season of preparation well, You'll walk into the summer. Well, the summer's a season of growth. That's where watermelon grows. That's where the crops grow. That's where you grow. That's where the rains begin to fall. Because the water and nurture the seeds that God has planted within you. And summer's a season of growth. But once you get towards the end of summer, it becomes a season of Harvest. Harvest is hard work. I've, I've joked when I grew up here, it's all soybean and cotton. When I grew up, it's all tobacco. And tobacco, literally, you touch tobacco more than any other crop in the world. You have to plant it. You have to keep it weeded. You have to cut the stupid sucker flowers off the top. Then when you cut it, you cut it with a machete. You cut that whole row. Then you come back. You put it on a stick to a stake. And then you go all the way back after that row's done. Then you hang it up on a trailer. Then you drive the trailer into a barn. You climb up the barn, carry the stick of tobacco, hang it up. They smoke it, which Toy says is the greatest smell on earth, which just means he's still a heathen. <laughs> after they smoke the tobacco, you bring all those sticks down, put it back on the trailer. Then you take it to the auction to sell. But you know what happens? After all that hard work, the farmer receives the pay for his labor. So summer is a season of growth, but it's a season of work to harvest what God has produced inside of you. And some of you, you, you like the growth, but you don't want to go through the work of the harvest. But if you handle the harvest well, then you go into fall. Fall's a season where the leaves begin to change colors, orange, yellow, red, green, brown. They start to change colors, begin to fall. It's beautiful for a moment. But after that moment is over, the trees look bare. And if you're a Tennessee football fan, you have to sit through another season of football. It gets bare quickly. But fall is a reminder that God is a God of change. And in order for God to fulfill his purpose in you, sometimes things have to fall away from you. Because anytime time after you have a growth or after a harvest, there's a season of change where maybe you've grown so much, some relationships need to fall away from you. Maybe you need to change some relationships around you. And change is difficult. If leaves fall in your you just blow them, sweep them, burn them. You just take care of them. But this season can be lonely because there's so much change happening, you feel like life is bare. But really, what God is doing you is preparing you for winter. Winter can be the darkest season of all, it can be cold and bare and lonely. These people are stuck in their houses because they don't want to go out and and hang out because it's so cold. But even in that season, God has allowed some relationships, things to fall away, to change, to bring you into winter where now there's a dependence on God and God alone. It's in those winter months, those dark nights of the soul, that you learn to depend on God. Maybe the relationships you were depending on have fallen away. Maybe the the plans you had have begun to fall away. Maybe the purpose you thought you had has fallen away. And God is trying to draw you deeper into him. Why? Because as you handle winter right, and you begin to depend on God correctly, and you use that season to grow closer to him, then spring comes again. You start seeing the, the breaking of the soil with new life beginning to form again. Because new life only comes from a new level of dependence on God. So until you embrace the season you're in, you're never going to enjoy the process of new growth God has for you. Spring, summer, fall, winter, each one has their beauty, each one has their purpose. And until you learn to change with the seasons of God, you'll stay frustrated with God and you won't live your life on purpose. As a close, one person said, be aware of what season you are in and give yourself the grace to be there. Be aware of the season you are in and give yourself the grace to be there. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. As followers of Jesus, if we just follow him, if we fulfill his purpose of giving him glory and honor and enjoying the pleasure of that relationship we have, he'll begin to reveal to you the why. And everyone in this room has a why. There's no one in this room without a why. Maybe some of you, you haven't given your life to Jesus. Maybe you're still living an old life. Even in you, there's redemption, value, and purpose on the inside of you God wants to bring out of you through the blood of Jesus. When you discover the why, you'll discover the way in which God has planned for you. Then if you can learn to live in the moment, to enjoy the presence of the Spirit, the presence of God, to enjoy the relationships He surrounded you with, to enjoy the opportunities he brings your way, and steward that time as a valuable commodity from heaven, you'll begin to live your life on purpose. But even if you do those two things, but you don't embrace the seasons of God, you'll continually be frustrated and live in living your life by accident instead of purpose. That every single season you're in has a purpose for God to take you to a new level and to a new relationship status with Him. Whether that's the winter for some of you. Maybe it's been a dark moment, dark season. You find yourself all by yourself. Maybe you find yourself broken, loneliness. Nothing looks like it's working. Everything looks bare and dead and broken around you. God is using that season to draw your heart deeper into Him. If that's you, I'm gonna go through all four. Say, if that's you, said that's me. I feel like I'm in this winter season. If that's you, just slip your hand up right where you are. I'm not gonna call you forward. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Father, in Jesus' name, for those in these wintry, dark moments of their life, these moments of barrenness, these moments of dryness, these moments of desperation, these moments of loneliness, I pray in this moment, Father, you redeem it for your good by drawing them deeper into the presence of your Spirit. I pray that you begin to communicate to them from father to daughter, father to son, that this winter season be one of of creating a deeper root base that you can produce life through. Father, I pray they don't reject this season, they embrace this season to enjoy this moment of just constant communion and closeness. Let this winter season push them and compel them and drive them to your throne room. Right now, for those of you maybe going through the fall season, maybe relationships are falling away, maybe they're fading away, maybe things are falling off, maybe things that you're building begin to fall apart, maybe it looks like things are falling not together, but falling apart. Maybe relationships are changing. Maybe it looked beautiful for a moment, but now you find yourself in this bareness, this dryness. Even in that moment, even in that season, when you realize that maybe God was removing people out of your life to prepare you for new relationships when spring comes. It's that you say, you know what, maybe I'm in a fall season. If you just slip your hand up right where you are, things begin to fall away. Thank you. Anybody else? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the beauty of fall. We thank you for the changing of colors. We thank you how it draws our attention to your creation and to your beauty. But right now, Father, we know as the beauty fades away and the changes have come and the changes can hurt, it looks like life is falling apart. It looks like death is taking in. Father, I pray that you remind us that this change is coming after our harvest and preparing for the next harvest. Father, you remind us that you don't remove a thing without supplementing with a new thing. And Father, right now we begin praying for the new thing. For every single person that raised their hand, I pray that you start giving them a dream, a vision. Surround them with people that give them prophetic words and words of knowledge about what the new season, the new growth, the new opportunities are gonna look like in the future. Some of you, maybe you're in a season of preparation and you're frustrated because you wanna be in a season of growth. You thought you'd be through this season by now. You thought it'd be a, a six-month season. it had been a six-year season. And you're starting to get frustrated because you're not seeing the fruit of your hard labor, the fruit of your sacrifice. And the reason you're not seeing it is because you're still in the spring. God is still watering the seed you planted. God is still nourishing the ground and the soil in which you planted it. And you're getting frustrated. You're getting impatient. And you say, you know, I just need you to pray that I can have patience to endure this season in preparation for the next. In fact, you just slip your hand up right where you are. Thank you, all in the room. Father, in Jesus' name, Father, we know spring is this dramatic change from death to life. There's also a season of preparation of sowing and watering and tilling the soil and plowing the soil. And Father, we know we do not get to set the times or the duration of seasons. Father, we embrace these seasons. Right now, for these people going frustrated in this season of preparation, Father, I pray that you remind them of the why behind the preparation why they're sowing the seed, why they're laboring, why they're sacrificing, why they're praying. Even if they haven't seen their prayers answered, remind them of the why, that Father, you are a God who answers prayers. So, Father, we know there's time between seed time and harvest time. So, Father, that time can be so difficult. I just pray for a supernatural impartation of patience. Father, through the fruit of your spirit, produce patience in their life to persevere and endure this season of preparation. Father, the last season, of summer. Summer is a, a season of enjoyment, of hope, of warmth, of vitamin D, of sunlight. It's also a season of growth, and sometimes growth can be difficult. Growth stretches us, makes us uncomfortable. Maybe there's growth pains going on, or maybe it's the, the pain or the work of harvest. Maybe you're going through that season of growth, which has been great, but you're starting to feel the, the pains of those growth. He you well, I just need God to give me some comfort through this season. Maybe it's getting a little hot in my summer season. Maybe the heat's cranked up. I just need God to comfort me through this season so I can continue growing like he's been growing me through this last couple of months. I bet you just slip your hand up right where you are. Thank you. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for summer. We thank you for the memories that are made in summer vacations and summer uh, school being out. Father, we thank you for summer being this moment of sunlight and warmth Father, we also thank you that it's a season of growth. But Father, we also know growth brings discomfort. It brings change. It brings uh, sometimes heat, sometimes warmth. And Father, right now, I just pray for everyone in this room that raised their hand. You bring comfort to them in the middle of the growing. Holy Spirit, you comfort them through the heat. You comfort them through the sunshine. You comfort them through the rain. You comfort them through and remind them that on the other side is a great harvest, a harvest of family, a harvest of prayers being answered, a harvest of souls, a harvest of of their dreams being seen come to fruition. And Father, above all, we thank you that you are God of every season. There's not a season outside of your control. And Father, we just all ask you help us embrace the season we're in. And give us the grace to stay there. And Father, we bless you in this place. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.